The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera Ghostlight podcast, a behind the curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. Today we'll be featuring an interview that Jeff recorded for the 80th birthday celebration of the Utah Symphony. He had a chance to sit down with longtime members of the Utah Symphony, Nick and Claudia Norton, and talk about symphony life, coupledom, and musical relationships. Take it away, Jeff. One of the most important parts of Utah Symphony, obviously, is the symphony itself. And we couldn't have an 80th celebration without talking to two of the most important members of the last several years. Nick and Claudia Norton are just recently retired members of Utah Symphony. Nick was principal trumpet. Claudia was part of the double bass section. Welcome, Nick and Claudia. Thank you, Jeff. Hi. How are you doing? Great. So I was thinking that Utah Symphony has reached a point 80 years where its history is starting to become longer than any one person. But the two of you were around for pretty big chunks of that history, important chunks of that history. So when did you both start and how much have things changed since you got here? I, I started in the symphony. Uh, my teacher, Audrey Bush, gave me the chance to audition. She invited me to audition for a bass section opening in 1967. And I uh, was hired for that position and met Abravanel, and it totally changed the course of my life. So I, I've been, uh, and I was in the orchestra for 50 years, starting in 1967. Incredible. What about you, Nick? In 1980, I auditioned for the orchestra. There was a second trumpet opening, and I got that job. And uh, actually, when I tried to do the audition, they was by invite only, and they didn't invite me. But fortunately, my teacher at the time, Anthony Plogue, played here a few years and sent a letter saying, you should hear Nick play. And so I got that job. And then in, I think it was 88, I auditioned for the principal opening here and got, got that job. So I was principal starting, I think in 88 or 89, I can't remember. That's a lot of years between the two of you. And I was asking how things have changed. And maybe I'll reframe that question by asking you, what are your favorite memories from all those years? Utah Symphony has actually done a lot of incredible stuff over its history. And what are, your, what are the things that you remember most fondly from your time? From mine, I would have to say just the intersection of my life with Maurice Bravanel at that point in his career was so fortuitous to my life. I was going to be a veterinarian. That's what I was going to do. I loved bass more than anything, but I couldn't consider it a career because music didn't pay enough to be a career. But Abravanel, with his love and passion and his vision for the symphony orchestra, was to make that possible, to make musicians earn a living at making music in a symphony orchestra. And um, my first year with the orchestra, I think I made under $2,000. By the third year, it was triple that, which in 1969 was, it was, you know, being able to consider that maybe someday it could excuse me, an actual career. So it changed the, uh, changed the course of my life. That's one memory that just having a Bravanel as a mentor and uh, getting on that ship where we were all demanded to be oarsmen and head in that direction of, of bringing the symphony music, music to 
everybody in rural America it was um, it just it, it was created the, the direction of my life so that was a big memory um, just my association especially in the early years with the Bravanel. How about you Nick what are your favorite memories from your time? Well when I started in 1980 it was the first year of not having Marisa Bravanel as music director so it was a big change for everyone in the office in the orchestra everything uh, there was just a, maybe a half a dozen staff members when I got in the orchestra and because of Bravanel did a lot of everything uh, but there was still sort of a, a hangover of this uh, and it still is to this day of, of being the Utah State Symphony Orchestra that represents the entire state of Utah which I think was really important uh, not not too many orchestras were set up that way and I got to do some of the touring to all the schools uh, and at that time up through Idaho and up through the Northwest and uh, we've done since I've been in the orchestra I think three or four European tours those were really great for me uh, as a musician uh, I got I got to solo a lot with the orchestra being principal trumpet uh, one actually thinking of Idaho one, one of my favorite memories is uh, I played the Hummel concerto in Idaho and after the concert uh, on the bus, somebody came and says, hey, there's this guy that wants to say hello to you. So uh, I went outside, we're just about to take off, and it, it was, uh, as a brass player, you know, uh, Alan Vizzuti. Of was course. He said, oh man, that was good. And, and I was so glad, I was so glad I, I didn't know that he was there before the concert. <laughs> but uh, touring uh, with the orchestra was fun. The Olympics was uh, one of a kind uh, opportunity. And, uh, but basically my main memories are uh, just the brass section and the orchestra, but especially the brass section, just sort of this camaraderie, this kind of, uh, the brass are kind of known as being bad boys sometimes. And we, we, we had a lot of fun. <laughs> and uh, I, just, I just really enjoyed the association with a lot of very talented and clever uh, brass players in the orchestra. I think that legacy lives on, Nick, thanks to you. But I, I also note that you arrived in the orchestra right about the same time Abravanel Hall did. What was it like to tune that building and get used to a new space with the orchestra, especially as a trumpet player? Yeah, it, it was exciting. Uh, and we had you know, full houses because people just wanted to go to see the hall. There was a opening concert, uh, I think in 79, that I was not in because I, hadn't, I was not in the orchestra yet. And that, that's with uh, Yehudi Minuin was soloist. Yeah. And uh, that was the, you know, the, the gala opening. But the whole, the first season, which was interesting, was with, without Abravnel. And uh, he actually, for many years, came to many concerts. And he was always in the balcony, first balcony. And it was, it was kind of, I don't know, it was, it was fun having him there just to have somebody, you know somebody's listening to this music that knows it so well it was great you know it was for me i i, I came from a town of three thousand people and to to have this opportunity to play in an orchestra you know the entire town would almost fit in the hall yeah so it was really great it was just great he was really a cheerleader of Raphael 
all of us sat up, up in what we call the Muppet box and looked down on the orchestra and it was, he was just so enthusiastic and he <laughs> led the applause and yeah, uh, yeah. on every, on every piece um, we play, you could just feel his love for the orchestra and his pride in, in he, the orchestra. He went overboard uh, at least once where we, we play like a modern piece. The audience was, you know, applauding politely. And, and he just, he stood up and, just, and he's looking at the audience clapping. and he just clapped hard as he could. And just, did, you know, said, do not stop clapping. <laughs> it, it was great. That is fantastic. You know, Claudia, you mentioned wanting to be a veterinarian and that doesn't surprise me at all because anybody who knows you knows that you're a healer and i'm sure that nick picked up on that early in his time at the utah symphony and i think one of the great things about performing arts as a profession is that like-minded people come together and once in a while even fall in love utah symphony has a lot of couples actually so tell us quickly what is the norton family origin story well we'll we'll, we'll look at her <laughs> Why wouldn't it's very clear, Nick? Oh. <laughs> um, I have to say, um, I fell in love with Nick's playing before I fell in love with him as a person. I, I couldn't believe that this brass player could be so musical because us in the string section, you know, they were the brass holes. They they were, you know, <laughs> not the same musical achievement that string players were, and even though I was the lowest string um, in the orchestra, the basses, I fell for this highest brass player. <laughs> and um, he, he just had a sound and a way of playing that was, well, it was like a string player. <laughs> and uh, we were such dear friends for many years before we got together and um, we're about to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary <laughs> congratulations you 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 two are truly one of utah symphony's royal couples and i know everybody misses you there are other couples that you mentioned uh, yeah. you know ad and lynn mm -hmm. uh, clarinet and violin yeah uh, ann and claude string players yes uh, who else um lisa and bob stevenson yeah and of course barbara and ralph, ralph. um you probably tom and carolee Barron. Yeah, yeah, I remember them well. There are new couples like David Porter and Mercedes Smith. It's, a, it's yes. an ongoing thing. Utah Symphony has a matchmaking organization. Yes. Well, right. you're, you're in an environment where you share this incredible passion for the same thing as, as another person. And um, it does make for, it does good matchmaking, I think. <laughs> so before I let the two of you go, if money were no object, if, if that weren't a concern, what birthday present would you give the Utah Symphony at, on its 80th? Well, well, well. well. <laughs> I would say, if money were no object, I would give the funds to create the next 80 years as productive and inventive as the last 80 years. If we could see the orchestra continue to, to progress and continue to make a livelihood for professional musicians possible i would like i would like to do that hard to top that nick well you know i, I thinking about this while she's talking it almost would be um something that money can't buy i mean right now we're, we're doing this because of a, a situation where many people are are, are struggling you know and uh it, it's 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 tough but music is a healing a healing thing 
uh, I was thinking this, the orchestra, it was here because of, uh, of a board and staff and a community, especially the community, the LDS church, everyone uh, getting on board with this thing uh, way before I was in the orchestra. And it's, it's, just, it's a sharing thing. When you're on stage, as you know, you're a musician too, uh, as you uh, on stage, you're sharing an experience with the other musicians, and then you share it in another way with the audience. And, and then the community actually shares the whole organization. So uh, just to have the money to, to continue that on and the drive to have that continue is, is what I would wish for. Well, from both of your mouths to the ears of every person in Utah, I hope you get exactly what you hope in this case. Well, how about this? <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. That was pretty awesome. Gold. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's great to see you. You too. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>